Hey, what's up? It's John. I have a quick question for you. Do you like free stuff? Me too. I don't have any free stuff. Sorry. But what I can offer you is 15% off your next order of tape, topicals, mobility tools, and apparel at shop.rocktape.com. 15% off the best tape and gear around. Just use the code ROCKCAST. That's R-O-C-K-C-A-S-T. ROCKCAST at shop.rocktape.com for 15% off your next order. That's the code ROCKCAST for 15% off your next order of rock tape so you can go stronger, longer. What's up, everybody? I'm John Campione. I am a chiropractic physician and a rock tape instructor. Today, I am sitting here with Mitch Hauschildt. Mitch serves as the prevention, rehab, and physical performance coordinator at Missouri State University, making him the leading expert on staff in the areas of injury prevention and rehabilitation. Currently, he's in his eighth year at MSU. He has also served as strength and conditioning coach for the men's basketball team, the women's basketball team, as well as the volleyball team. Mitch is also founder and president of Maximum Training Solutions, LLC, a full-service sports medicine and sports performance consultancy that he created to help coaches, trainers, therapists, and other health professionals and athletes to reach their full potential in the athletic-related endeavors. Mitch, what's up? Not much, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to have you. Thanks for uh, taking the time to do it. I know you have a real busy schedule with everything that you do, especially since what we kind of saw in the intro there too. You're working in a in a college setting. Yes, actually, I uh, I need to uh, update that uh, that bio on the rock tape side. I think I'm actually my eleventh oh, yeah. year, not my eighth year. So uh, I was gonna time say, flies. Like, I was gonna say, yeah, is it gonna be a little bit longer than that? So eleven yeah. years at, at yeah. MSU, right? Yeah, it'll be eleven years in August. So. Where in Missouri is MSU? We uh, we're in Springfield, so Southwest Missouri. Oh, okay. Uh, for years, most people, a lot of people, still know us as Southwest Missouri State, uh, but we changed uh, names. I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, something like that. Um, uh, but the last time we made a Sweet Sixteen run, we were still uh, South Missouri, Southwest okay. Missouri State, so people still like to tag us with that. Southwest Missouri State. Well, what's the what's the acronym that people throw in there? So Southwest. Missouri State. You can't really make a word out of that, can you? Yeah, not really. So, I mean, yeah. now it's most <laughs> most state is what a lot of people call us. So, most state. Yeah. So, but don't confuse us with Mizzou. Team? So, that, oh, they're understood. they're on the other side. We we don't want to be mistaken with them. Not Columbia Springfield. No, right? not Columbia Springfield. <laughs> you got it. Awesome, how, Mitch. How long have you been with uh, Rock Tape? Uh, three years, I think. A little over three years. Uh, yep. So yeah, it's been a wild, crazy ride, but uh, yeah, something like that. I think you and I came on about the same time, actually. I think we did too. I, I couldn't remember if you had been there a little bit earlier, but you and I kind of came with the uh, instructor boom, yeah. as I call it. Yeah. <laughs> so we met it, we met in Denver. You and I have yep. a sweet story, actually, because we went to the team dinner and it was snowing outside and we were all waiting for like an Uber van or something like that. And me being from Chicago, I'm like, it's not that far of a walk. I'm just going to walk in the snow. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody is like, you're crazy, man. And Mitch is the only person who just goes, Hey, I'll walk with you. Hey, I grew up in (laughs) Iowa. I went to school in South Dakota. I mean, yeah, it was like six inches of snow. It's not that big of a deal. That's nothing. No, we didn't even have boots. No, exactly. Suck suck it up and walk. You're exactly right. I totally remember that dinner. It was, uh, it was great. Yeah. So we, that was the first year we came out at the same time. Uh, And you're right. It was a boom. They went from like five instructors to, like 25 instructors in one year. Um, 
Yeah. So it was, uh, it was a fun time to come on, that's for sure. It really was, you know, seeing uh, just the evolution of, of our education and what has come with it. Did you use rock tape a lot before you started becoming an instructor? You know, I used it some. Um, I would say that I was kind of a, I feel like I'm kind of a late adopter to uh, the kinesiology tape world. Um, okay. I taped probably six months to a year before that, but on a very limited basis. And uh, um, one of my coworkers has been taping probably three or four years longer than I have. Uh, but for me, mm-hmm. which kind of leads us into the rock tape discussion, uh, for me, I just really struggled to understand at the time, um, y- you know, how it would make sense that if I stretch tape more or less, that it really changed the outcomes. Or if I put it on one way versus the other way, it was different. And so uh, all these things that I was reading that we could really claim we could do just kind of was a struggle for me. So. I kind of was like, ah, I'm going to wait and see how this shakes out. And uh, then when I got introduced to the rock tape methodology, I was like, man, this makes total sense. It's so much simpler. I can wrap my head around this. Um, and uh, I was all in. So, And it's and it kind of took out some of the stuff you had just mentioned. Is previous thought used to was that you could tape in a certain direction and that, you know, more stretch, less stretch, which is something that's actually still uh, research being done there. But, yeah. you know, a, a lot of things that we, I don't I want to say we debunked it, but it's something that we kind of move away and sure. almost even show in, in our classes like, hey, there's no evidence to show this. So we're not, this is not what we're teaching. Yeah. It's kind of interesting too, because you're an athletic trainer, correct? Yes. So you're very familiar with tape, but you're familiar with the other side of tape, yeah. that, that restrictive athletic tape too. And I'm always fascinated when I have an ATC in my class because, uh, I'll fully admit I love watching athletic trainers tape because there's a there's a beauty to it. There there's is. an art and skill to sure. it, and a really good heel hook is just awesome to look at. Yeah, I don't know what it is about that, but it's so interesting to talk about that kind of tape and then the kinesiology tape because they're completely different, and they honestly do do two completely different things. So was that a big transition for you once you got into using the kinesiology tape? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a little bit of a transition. I mean, just as an ATC, I'm trained to use rigid tape and all we think about is locking down a joint, right? And uh, kinesiology tape, we're gonna do the exact opposite. So um, just by training, I think it was a little different, but the reality is for me and my practice, and I'm such a, I'm not a typical ATC in my practice. And so, you know, yes, I'm in a college setting, uh, but I don't do any sideline coverage. I don't do any concussion management. I don't do a lot of general, you know, health and things like that. When one of our athletes brings something to me and it's like, hey, you know, I've got this going on or I have a sore throat over. I'm like, no, 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 you need to send that to somebody else. That's, that's not my gig. But if you've had surgery and you need some rehab or you got some low back pain, that's me. And so being the, the rehab coordinator for the department, I really just focus on how do I get athletes back. So because of that, uh, I don't do a lot of traditional kind of rigid taping. Uh, I still make sure I tape an ankle every uh, uh, you know two or three a year just to prove to my coworkers I still know how to do it. That you could still do. It. Yeah, they don't call me a real athletic trainer because I don't tape ankles and fill ice bags every day. Um, so yeah. for me, it wasn't as big as a tra- of a transition as maybe some other ATCs because I was already sort of out of that world a little bit. Um, but sure. but yeah, I mean, just branching this world of tape that doesn't restrict range of motion and really is just there as a, as a you know, more of a neural input and feedback uh, mechanism. 
yes, it's a little different than what I was trained, but man, it's, it makes so much sense. And so that's where, like I said, I, I really just jumped on board at that point. Um, uh, because I, I was looking for something different. I knew that, uh, restricting range of motion wasn't always the way to go. And, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, facilitating motion was really much more, uh, really in line with what I was doing at the time anyway. Why do you, you say that, uh, you kind of don't treat like a, a traditional athletic trainer, um, and I, I'm curious as to kind of what, what took you away from that uh, traditional treatment model that, that ATCs do use. Well, and, and, you know, and maybe it's not fair to, you know, generalize, but, uh, uh, sure. you know, when I see, you know, I think when a lot of people think of a, a college athletic trainer, they think of, yes, they're, they're taping, they're icing, they're doing those things, they're on the sideline for emergency management, somebody gets hurt, they're going to, you know, do a few exercises with them to try to get them back. Um, and you know, we do those things, but, um, early in my career, before I came to university, I worked at a private, uh, facility, uh, which really shaped a, a lot of the way I looked at, at, uh, sports performance and rehab. And so in that facility, I was there five and a half years and we trained athletes as young as six on up into their fifties and everywhere in between. And we had 10,000 square foot of training space plus a whole rehab center. And so about half the time I was there, I was just on the sports training side doing speed development, strength conditioning type things. The other half, I, I did move over on the rehab side. Well, we very much blended everything. Um, and so uh, I always have taken my strength conditioning background and applied it to my rehab setting. Um, and I will say, you know, kind of in line with what I would consider a traditional ATC is my manual skills weren't up to par where I wanted them to be and really are evolving, but they've grown greatly in the last three or four years. Um, but I do think that's a little bit of weakness of a lot of ATCs is, you know, manual skills as far as hands-on techniques, joint mobilizations, uh, those types of things. Um, so I've had to learn those over time. But now that I have those skills, I do think that kind of separates me a little bit from the traditional thought process. Um, but the, those early years for me, the facility we were in, uh, we did have a lot of outside-the-box thinkers. And I wasn't in a school setting. I was in a private clinical setting. And we were all ATCs practicing, but we were practicing much like a traditional physical therapy clinic would with the addition of all this sports performance. So it allowed me to really hone my skills a lot in both injury prevention and the rehab side of things um, before moving back to more of a traditional type athletic training setting um, and, uh, and applying those skills here. I like that a lot. I mean, that's kind of my thought process with all of healthcare is it really needs to be kind of an amalgamation of everything too. So it's nice to see you're you're not really, you didn't really want to be stuck in that model. And I feel bad too, you know, being a chiropractor, I've talked to PTs about this. I've talked to ATCs about this is, you know, these are really skilled individuals and they get narrowed down and bottlenecked into, well, you guys only do this. You guys only do this. It's like, nope, I went to a lot more school yeah. than just what my degree tells you. Yeah. So <laughs> no, no question. And, uh, I, you know, if I'm going to be a little bit critical of the athletic training profession, I think the great thing about athletic trainers is we're trained very broadly to be able to do a lot of things. The downside is we're trained really broadly to do a lot of things. And so um, I think because of that, we do sort of get a little bit pigeonholed because at times we aren't recognized as the expert in any one area, even though we are trained in rehab, we are trained in injury prevention, we're trained in in emergency management and all these different things. Um, But because we have all those spread out, you know, all those areas 
in a in a relatively short amount of time. Um, I think I think it it doesn't lead to the respect that it deserves, and maybe maybe it gets the respect it deserves. I, I don't know, but uh, um, you know, for whatever reason, my career has always led me to the rehab side. You would not want me to do the sideline coverage of a football game because if somebody goes down <laughs> and I got to go out to midfield, God only knows what's going to happen. I feel bad for those kids. Um, but, um, it's, I'm sure it's the same for you as a chiropractor, right? I mean, you're trained in a lot of different areas, but for whatever reason, as you practice, you start to gravitate to one area. Um, and so mine has been the rehab side of the athletic training profession. And I always tell people like, you know, when I talk to physical therapists that maybe, you know, may, they kind of wonder what I do or maybe feel a little bit threatened. I would say like, look, I don't want your stroke patients. I don't want, uh, your total joints that that's not me. I'm really, really good at young, healthy, active, neurologically intact patients. That's my bread and butter. And I think I can hold my own with any of those, regardless of what initials I have behind my name. Um, but when it comes to the other stuff, that's for somebody else. And, I, and that's where I think the athletic trainer can kind of separate themselves a little bit. I really love that. Uh, you seem to know what you want to treat and what you don't want to treat. And I think a lot of young practitioners coming out, despite their their discipline, they they kind of want. Oh, I'm I'm going to take everybody. Yeah. I'm going to work on everybody. It's yeah. like ah, you can't really work on everybody. You got to understand that there's there's a wheelhouse, and you got to find that wheelhouse. I know I did it when I was first coming out, and then I just started settling. Like these are the people I'm better at. Yes. You know, I'm not going to necessarily jump on the really crazy cases. There. Well, yeah, so, and then it is tempting because you think you can conquer the world and you can solve everything, and then quickly you get educated that. Uh, there's other people that are better in certain areas than you. And uh, let's just go ahead and let them do those things. That's okay. Yes. Let the, let let people who are good at what they do, do what they do. Yeah, absolutely. Just like for you too, yeah, right? Right, exactly. So I want to be good at one thing or two things, and I'm going to let them do the same thing. Just no one to refer. Excellent. So with rock tape in general, the tape specifically, how are you using it a lot in practice? Um, do you find yourself seeing a particular type of injury you say you have a very well-rounded uh clientele so i can't imagine it's very specific types of injuries all the time but you know what advantage do you think rock tape gives to your practice that's a that's a big question um i don't know if we got enough time in this podcast for me to really answer we'll see what we'll we do can my do. best i'll do my best so i, I mean i would say probably 80 percent of the patients i treat get taped in one manner or another um and I, that's anything from fluid dynamics um, you know, and taking care of swelling uh, and edema all the way to postural control. Um, I, I mean, I think right now at this point in my career, I'm doing a lot of tweak taping. Uh, and so for those who maybe haven't been through all their education, tweak taping, I think is, I always describe it as the closest thing to magic I've ever seen. And uh, just <laughs> this idea, I can take like a three or four inch piece of tape and I can identify a certain skin drag in a certain area of the body. And all of a sudden, we can decrease the threat at the brain. A range of motion uh, improves and pain decreases. I mean, that's a huge win for me. And uh, I also live in a world where uh, a lot of times I don't have the opportunity to say, hey, actually, I never have this opportunity. And this is one thing that I really had to learn to kind of take a step back to my, my clinical days. I had to learn when I moved from a clinic to... Um, to the university setting, I still have a disagreement with some of my coworkers that I used to work with. But when I was in a clinical setting, it was really easy for me to say, you know what, you're here, you've got knee pain, whatever, you probably shouldn't run for the next two or three weeks until we get on top of this and we're going to do this and this and this and I'm going to control that. 
Well, the reality is if I tell my college kids you're not going to run for the next two or three weeks, I'm going to get a, a knock on the door from my head coach uh, in about 38 seconds telling me, dude, that's not going to work. And so um, I have to make immediate impacts with my athletes and my patients every single day. And so that's where tape is really powerful for me. Um, we look at we talk about the neurosensory feedback component of tape of just when you put tape on the skin, it increases the conversation between brain, the brain in that area of the body. And um, so when I look at something like tweak taping or, or diaphragm taping or a helical taping, those types of patterns are really impactful for me because they do increase that neurosensory feedback. And I'm lucky to have athletes that are very neurologically sensitive for the most part. They're D1 athletes. Um, I get immediate responses with them. And so um, that's probably the primary thing that I'm doing. I'm looking at tweak tape and I'm looking at some sort of postural control. Uh, I'm doing a lot of taping in the transverse plane. So looking at our helical patterns, looking at, uh, um, you know, taping along the Thomas Meyer spiral line. Um, because so many of our athletes are not trained well in the transverse plane. And I think um, a little of that is some things we need to clean up here internally with our strength conditioning, our sports, uh, you know, our sports performance guys. Uh, but really, I think it goes to a larger issue within um, fitness, strength conditioning within, um, you know, our overall setting of people are really good in the sagittal plane, pretty good in the frontal plane, but we don't do a great job of training people with rotation. And uh, I love CrossFit, CrossFit, but if I had a criticism for them, they do almost nothing in the transverse plane. And uh, when you look at when you look at walking, even walking has a ro rotary stability component to it. And uh, the number one thing I do with our track athletes is I train them in the transverse plane when they come to see me. And so taping for them uh, does twofold for me. What I find is one of my early visits, I will tape them in the transverse plane and see if things improve. And if they do, it's, it's part of my diagnostic process, my, my evaluation process. So I use it to confirm what I'm doing. And then, of course, I use it to feed and drive my... Um, my correctives and my interventions 24 seven throughout the week. And, uh, that was really a game changer for me. Now I live in a, a utopia compared to a lot of people that are probably living to this pod or listening to this podcast, because most people, I, I realize if you're in a clinical setting, you know, like you, John, you probably see your patients 15, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes at a time, maybe an hour. Right. And you're seeing them one, two, maybe three days a week. Well, I live in a world where if my athlete wants to, if I want to be seen three hours a day, six days a week, guess what? I get them three hours a day, six days a week because they're an NCAA athletes. They're on scholarship. We're paying them to be here. It's part of the gig. Um, but still, there's huge value to me, even though I get my athletes as much as I want, there's huge value to me to having constant reinforcement at night when I'm not around them for a lot of those, uh, a lot of those changes and interventions I'm trying to make. They're not with you a lot longer than they are with you. So they need a lot of that special, you know, uh, <clears throat> aspect of the, the neurological input from the tape. And uh, that helps guide everything else that you taught them, right? No question. And, and I always tell people when I teach, like, you know, if you have somebody 30 minutes, two days a week in a clinical setting, what's your patient doing the other 23 and a half hours out of the day? They're probably undoing everything that you just did with them because that's why they're there to start with, right? They have poor habits. They're their work environment sucks, they're overweight, they smoke, all those things. And so that's where I think it is a huge game changer for, for clinicians is that I'm now feeding that system over and over and over again throughout the day instead of just 
here's my intervention for an hour and then I'll see you again in two or three days and hope that you've retained a little of that. Yeah. Uh, going back to what you were saying a little bit about transverse plane train, that's a really good point. Um, that kind of comes up almost randomly sometimes, but you've seen so many high, le- high level athletes. Why do you think that is? Because you alluded to it with gait. E- everything has a rotational transverse plane component to it. Why do you think training lacks so much in training the transverse plane? Um, uh, I think it's a great question, actually. And I think if we um, and, I, and uh, I can give you some really great examples that I will hear in a second. But if we look more globally, um, I think we just look at our, our strength conditioning um, for young athletes, fitness, whatever. I think part of that comes back to it's really hard to quantify how efficient people are in the transverse plane. You know, it's really easy to load somebody up and take them through a back squat, right? Or a vertical mm-hmm. jump and quantify those numbers. But for me to take, you know, a cable row with rotation or some sort of a, you know, there's no way that I can go to a coach and say, hey, we're moving this much more load during this. And I probably wouldn't want to. Um, so because of that, um, you know, it goes back to the whole thing of we pay attention to what we can measure. So if you want to lose weight, but you don't weigh yourself on a regular basis, you have no idea if you're losing weight, you're not going to pay attention to it. Right. If you, you know. Mm-hmm. If I want to lose weight, I, maybe I want to use an app to monitor how much food I, uh, I eat. And so if I quantify how much food I'm looking at, uh, you know, at exactly what I'm putting in my body, suddenly I'm a little more attentive to it and I'm probably going to make good changes. I think the same thing happens here is it's harder for us to monitor that. Um, so we don't look at it as much. And, uh, and it's not kind of fun, cool and sexy as showing big numbers on a bench press or something like that. Um, but I also think it's more difficult. I really do. I think, um, you know, I, I think it's hard for all of us to really start to break down movement in the transverse plane because there's so many different components. I mean, when somebody's restricted in the transverse plane, uh, that can be coming from the tibia in the lower leg. It can be coming from the hips. It could be coming from the T-spine. Um, and I'm just talking about if somebody's standing vertical and rotating, we're not even talking about extremities. Um, so I think because of that, people are a little intimidated by and don't quite know how to start breaking that down. Um, but what I will tell you is, um, and I've told this story a lot, so if people have heard me talk, I'll probably bore them here, but uh, two or three years ago, I had a run, it was in September at the beginning of the year, I had four girls, two women's basketball players, two track runners that came in with foot and lower leg pain, like plantar fasciitis. One of them had been to multiple clinicians for over four years in high school, never ever got better. Uh, I had one girl with a tibial stress fracture and two with shin splints. And all of them, as I did my evaluation, sucked in the transverse plane. So I taped the whole Thomas Meyer spiral line. So I literally started on one shoulder, wrapped around rhomboid serratus across the abdomen, lateral hip, all down the lateral hip, crossed the lower leg, made a stirrup under the foot, ran up the back of the leg. A lot of tape. All one piece of tape, right? Uh, two. Two. I, oh, I did break okay. it the hip. So, um, <laughs> but um, I taped all four of them. And literally within 24 hours, all four of them came back and said, I haven't felt this good in years. The, the girl with had been uh, plantar fasciitis for four years. She's like, I, I'm pain-free the, for the first time in four years. So I was like, holy cow, this is pretty cool, right? Um, well, it's a foot and lower leg problem. We've identified it's transverse plane. Uh, I don't want to tape them this much for their forever. So I'll just tape the lower half. So I took the tape off the, the upper half of that, that transverse plane uh, and redid it with uh, the lower half of the Thomas Meyer spiral line. And 
they all came back the next day and said, it feels better, but not as good as when you tape the whole thing. So I was like, wow, well, heck, let's try this. So I took the tape off the lower half and I just taped the top half. And the next day they came in and said, that's it. I feel amazing. And so literally I started taping the top half. So, and, and how you define that, whether we call it sort of taping along the functional line or the Thomas Meyer spiral line or he like, you know, there, there's a little bit of crossover there, but the reality is I'm taping them with rotation and all of a sudden that is now my go-to for foot and lower leg pain. So I have several girls right now. Um, we're heading into our outdoor conference meet. It's been a long year. They've been training since September. They're all my track girls. And that's how we're taping them. And it makes an immediate impact in their pain. But the other thing it does for me, it, it, it does reinforce that's where my train has to go. So for my, um, my uh, corrective exercises then, everything goes transverse plane. Lots of pal-off progressions. Uh, lots of, uh, you know, kettlebell windmills, uh, lots of, I mean, you name it. And we can go down the road, a lot of different uh, transverse plane. Um, and, and what's amazing is our coaches, as we've gone through this evolution, our coaches have noticed not only uh, are our girls feeling better, but their performance is better. And so we've looked back over the last three or four years. We had a girl um, from Canada who uh, qualified for the last uh, Canadian Olympic team who, when she came to us as a freshman, was a train wreck. And three years later, after we worked through these progressions, she qualifies for their Olympic team. And uh, when we look back, we have pictures of her as a freshman coming out of the blocks, and her hips are just everywhere. I mean, she's just all over the place. <laughs> now she explodes out of the blocks, and everything is straight, stable, and she's literally moving down the track the way she's supposed to instead of bleeding and leaking energy into that transverse plane with her hips swiveling side to side, which is what happens with a lot of these kids uh, who aren't stable in that transverse plane, they're so strong lower half, they're so strong upper half, but they put that force into the ground and it, it doesn't have a solid foundation to go into. So I, I, think it, I think of it, it's almost like running in sand, right? So if I run in sand, my foot spills out the back. It's sort of the same thing. I put fo force into the ground, now my pelvis is going to rotate if I don't have that stable foundation. So it rotates side to side, we leak energy, we lose time. Um, so our coaches love it because we're so much faster. So that's a long response to your short question, but the transverse <laughs> plane for me is a game changer. Every one of my patients is going to get some sort of training in the transverse plane. They're probably going to get taped in the transverse plane, uh, whether that's a helical pattern or whether that's kind of along that Thomas Meyer spiral line or along one of the functional lines. Um, and it's, it's made a huge impact in our, uh, our rehab as well as our performance. I'm so glad you said that. I always think about this when we talk about Thomas Myers, the from anatomy trains for those listening, um, and the spiral line. Anatomy trains, and you could disagree with this, is very structural because it's looking at the, the the chain of muscles and how they're attached through fascia. And in certain chains, you can kind of see there's a little bit of a difference when it comes to the function that's going on. For instance, like the kinetic chain of triple extension for jumping is not one specific anatomy train. And one thing I always notice with Thomas Myers' spiral line is when you get into the lower extremity, it's no longer a spiral. Now we can explain how we talk about pronation, supination with that stirrup you were talking about, but the, the spiral component is really illustrated up in the upper body. And I'm so interested that you said that, that you took the tape off of the lower extremities and you saw that there was more of an improvement with that upper body. Because 
I tell people all the time in classes, hey, look, we tape these long lines, but it's your job to really determine whether or not you need that much tape on an individual. So try to find the least amount of tape with the most amount of outcome. Um, and it's fascinating to think about that because then when we talk about helical chains on the extremities, we are talking about actual spirals on those extremities. So where do you see a good combination uh, or, or I should say maybe even a, a big difference between some of the linear extremity lines versus the helicals to the point to where you're almost not using those linear lines uh, on the extremities and really focusing more on the helical chain? Yeah, so that's, I mean, you brought up a lot of things there. It kind of got my, my brain moving too. It gets me a little excited talking about this stuff, which I guess makes me kind of weird, but uh, that's all right. That's that's why we do what we do. <laughs> that's here. right. So first of all, you're exactly right. You like the, the Thomas Meyer spiral line, the lower half of that spiral line and the back half of that spiral line are really linear. I mean, the yeah. the lower half, it's it's right down the IT band and crosses over the lower leg and it goes straight up the back. Mm -hmm. So it's not spiral at all. It's really just spiral in one component of it. Um, and, uh, and so I agree with you completely. Um, I also agree with you completely. And I love that you say the minimum amount of tape to get the outcome that we need. And it goes back to this minimal effective dose. Right. And I always say to people, I, I'm sure Greg at rock tape, the owner would love it. If I stood up <laughs> and said, you need to tape everybody's spiral line, the entire thing every day for the rest of their life. Because we probably would move a little more product, right? But I'm laughing because that's exactly what I was thinking as yeah. I was saying it out loud. <laughs> but the reality is you don't believe that, I don't believe that. And I don't think Greg, Greg <laughs> believes that either, right? And uh, this is yeah. just a means to an end. This is a way, this is an adjunct. And that's where I think people get confused about tape, that hate on tape is this is just one extra piece of the puzzle to move us down the chain, to get us to the direction we need to go. But back to your question about the extremities, um, I tend to really, I don't want to say I don't focus on more the linear patterns, um, but I don't do a lot of superficial backline taping, uh, superficial frontline or performance front or back, whichever terms we're using, whether it's a rock tape or a Thomas Myers term. Um, and not that I okay. don't like those. I just think that uh, they're not as impactful. And um uh, and I also go back to some of Luigi Stecco's uh, work in his books and a lot of the Stecco family, when they talk about their helical patterns, uh, when I read their stuff, it always intrigues me that they talk about, um, at least the way I understand it, you know, our extremities are wrapped with this helical pattern that the, the, the fascia is kind of almost on a bias. And then you get this mm -hmm. idea of this fascial winding and unwinding. And so as I put my hand out in front, it unwinds. As I pull it back, it winds back up. And I have this mental image of, of sort of one of those um, pop-up clothes baskets, you know, that have the little wire in them. Yeah. And they'll never kink. And I can compress it down as it winds up. And then I let it go. And then it unwinds. And to me, that's kind of the picture I have in my head of, of how these fascial systems really work on the, um, on the extremities. Now, I don't know if Thomas Myers would agree with me or this or not. I've never had this discussion with him. But I, I kind of believe when you look at his meridians yes i think those exist but i think he would also acknowledge there's a lot more crossover and transition between the various uh fascial lines than the book really says but i think if he were to try to really explain that i think nobody would get that and so okay. um to me and i've always said what what i think he does really well with anatomy trains it's not that there's not other people that are doing great work in the fascial world but i think what he did was was uh, put it into a package that made sense in our Western anatomy. 
And so we like to see things start here and there. There's a direct line between the two, even though functionally we probably really don't function that way. Um, I think it at least made us a platform for us to start to digest this stuff. But I think the reality is there's a whole lot more um, intertwining of all those fascial lines than we really realize. And so because of that, I think that's another reason the transverse plane is so important uh, and the spiral line is so important because I think it does do a great job of kind of melding all those together. Yeah, yeah. And it's not to say that, well, let me just echo exactly what you were saying about about anatomy trains. It's a great basis for all of this stuff because I know it to have introduced me to the concept no of fashion, what we know it to be today, and it still introduces a lot of people to that too. But I think that's the importance in just educating yourself and understanding that there are different perspectives and uh, we can utilize all perspectives. It's just what we take from it might be slightly different yeah, depending on who you look at. I mean, at. what I look at with Myers, uh, with, with anatomy trains, to me, it's your foundational read. I think if you're new to the fascial world, everybody should read that first. And then after that, yeah. let's start to go into guys like Stecco and Robert Slipe and Vleeming and, and Bove and all these guys that are doing amazing work. But entry level, base foundation, it's a great place to start. Wrap your head around the concepts. And then we can go on to some of these more advanced um, techniques and thought processes that probably do a better job of describing exactly what's going on. Yeah. Let's take that back to uh, tape, and and you mentioned actually one of my favorite applications too is tweak taping, and I think a lot of the listeners who maybe haven't taken one of our courses uh, would love to hear a little bit more about tweak taping, because uh, tweak taping is a fun thing, is we use so much tape up until we get to that section, and then we start to use these little pieces of tape for big, big impact, yeah. and since, since you had mentioned it and how much you love it and like to use it, Give everyone kind of a synopsis of our concept behind tweak tape. You know, give, give them a little sizzle reel sure. to uh, get them into the course. Sure. Well, first of all, I think you're exactly right, especially look at performance. We spent all morning in the performance course taping people from head to toe. And more is better. And it has its place. It does. Absolutely. I'm not saying we yeah. shouldn't do it. But we spent all morning going, more is better, more is better, put more tape on. And then after lunch, we come back for tweak tape. And it's like, well, now we're going to make these huge changes, but you're going to use a three-inch <laughs> piece of tape. Um, and so it is kind of an interesting, uh, kind of, uh, interplay there within that course, but, uh, tweak taping, uh, I, first of all, I love the fact that I think over the last couple of years within our courses, so people that have taken the courses in the past, I think it's unfortunate. I don't think we've done it justice. And I think, you know, Capo and a lot of the other instructors would agree with us on that. Um, but I think it's what has always sort of was saved towards the end of the day and everybody was fried and ready to get out of there. And now we've moved it to a more prominent spot in the performance class, uh, which is great. But uh, the concept of tweak taping really melds well with uh, what we're doing with our Blades Advance course, where we're looking at uh, skin drag and uh, these peripheral entrapments. And so um, the way I think about it is we know that we've got all these layers under the skin. So we've got our skin, our superficial fascia, our deep fascia, our muscle bone, all these layers that exist. And of course, they're supposed to slide and glide, but they also have to be bound together by certain things. So that comes back to our skin ligaments um, that we talk about, that our skin ligaments are what help those layers kind of stay in place with some freedom to slide and glide. Well, those skin ligaments, some of them are hollow and have these peripheral nerves that tunnel from the deep layers out to the skin so we can feel what happens when somebody touches our skin. 
And um, unfortunately, we know that those fascial layers in the skin can get off a little bit. And so these ideas, these grommet holes, um, if, if these layers aren't aligning right where they're supposed to, those tubes that have these peripheral nerves, they're going to pinch that nerve. And uh, just like a grommet hole on your desk, if it were to move and pinch the, uh, pinch the wire to your monitor, your computer monitor is not going to work. So it's the same idea. Um, so then the idea of tweak taping is how do we um, realign those layers, which basically is just a matter of taking the skin, dragging it one direction, dragging it another direction, seeing if it improves. And if it does, then we're going to anchor the tape, drag the skin with our fingers and put the tape over top to allow us to... Um, to lock that in. And that's where I think some people get a little bit confused by the concept because we do spend a lot of time saying direction of tape doesn't matter, which it doesn't for the most part. But when we come to tweak taping, I'm not anchoring the tape and pulling it in a direction. I'm anchoring the tape, then dragging the skin to realign it in that way that's optimal and then laying the tape down, which sort of locks that in uh, long term. But I use it. It's not tape direction. It's skin direction. It is skin direction. Absolutely. It's a great way to put it. And uh, I use it a ton for the shoulder. I use it a lot for the low back. Uh, I use it some for the knee and kind of fibular head stuff. But the low back and shoulder, they're a couple of, I mean, that's my go-to to start off with. Um, and I also find, I'm finding more as I'm doing it. Some people will have one or two spots that work really well for them. Some of them, I'm doing this evaluation, they're saying, well, that spot and direction feels a little bit better. Well, that one's a little bit better. Well, that one's a little bit. But then when I do four or five spots together, they go, boom, that's it. I feel amazing. So I kind of, with that concept, I go back to uh, my kid's pediatrician who I used to work for when I was at my old uh, facility. Uh, he always used, to, he calls it when I take my kids that are sick to, to his office, a lot of times he go, ah, he, they got the little bit syndrome. And what he means by that is they got a little bit of sore throat, a little bit of fluid in their ears. Their sinuses have a little bit of fluid. Nothing's really worth treating, but it all adds up to them feeling like crap. Well, to <laughs> me, it's the same thing. We got a little bit of an issue in this spot, a little bit of an issue on this spot, a little bit of an issue on that spot. If we can correct all of them, all of a sudden they feel really, really good. And so I'm finding sometimes three, four, five spots. You know, I'm treating uh, upper glutes uh, with directional skin drag for a shoulder issue. Um, is really powerful. Um, so it was more than a sizzle reel, of course, but uh, I love <laughs> it. I'm telling you, it's it gets me geeked up, and uh, I've seen some really cool stuff, both athletes, non-athletes alike. Um, actually, I have a case study I'm getting ready to submit off an All-American baseball pitcher for us last year who pitched the last two-thirds of the season in a, uh, uh, an all-conference. He wasn't quite the All-American he was as a sophomore, but an all-conference level and uh, had a uh, complex uh, slap tear in his shoulder that we repaired two days after the season was over. But he could throw pain-free at 93 miles an hour when he had our tweak taping on. Wow. Yeah, Excellent. it's cool Did stuff. You, was that one of the ones that you had to use a little bit of a combination, or is this one of those yeah, sure. ones where you just get... No, no, he, was, uh, he had two spots. So he had one that was kind of medial border of the scapula, and he liked a directional drag towards the uh, spine. And then he had a spot right down, um, right at the top of his uh, glutes that he liked an inferior drag. So I drug that down, taped him, and he uh, it was like a light switch for him. Uh, when, he, uh, uh, when he didn't have tape on, he topped out about 82, 83 miles an hour, had a lot of pain, didn't want to pick up a baseball. Um, 
And when he did have tape on, he was a completely different guy. In fact, last year in our regionals at Arkansas, uh, fighting to go to the Super Regionals, which is basically the, the Sweet 16 for college baseball, uh, we were at Arkansas. He threw Friday night, uh, got really fired up. Saturday, didn't have tape on, didn't want to pick up a baseball. We taped him Sunday. Monday night, he went out through an inning to two-thirds of baseball with two strikeouts. He was a relief pitcher, and uh, we won the game 3-2. to two. Big thanks to his performance. And uh, um, awesome. was able to come back then again and, and uh, compete in the Super Regionals. So, um, yeah, so what, I mean, and that's, and that's just one story. I can actually show you quite a few other things we've done with tape on a high level like that that are pretty cool. That is so cool. Just thinking, because uh, ba- baseball is my my favorite game. So uh, I was a baseball player in my life. So I'm big thinking Cubs about all fan. the mechanics and everything it. involved with it. Yeah. Oh yeah, go Cubs, go. So uh, I'm just thinking of and anybody out there who might be listening to this, going, why would you tape low back? Transfer of force, lower extremities into the upper extremities to throw that ball. This is why I tell. I don't know how you feel about this, and your some of your participants. Like a lot of them get frustrated. Because we just don't have the time or really, uh, it's really more of a time thing, but to go into a full in-depth assessment that we would normally do. And you have to look at stuff like that too. So it doesn't matter if it's tape, if it's the blades, if it's another tool, your assessment is really directing you into what needs to be done. But these applications are so, so powerful. So when you can nail down exactly what needs to be done, you're going to have a lot of impact for these athletes. And you just, you just heard it right there. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. And, and again, I have some advantages you don't have um, in that, my athletes are with us three to four years. I know exactly what's going on in the strength conditioning department. Sure. I know what our coaches do sure. and what their sport uh, is like. So when our guys come in and they're injured, I already have a pretty decent idea what's going on um, because I know them. I know what they're training in, all, all those kinds of things. So then I get the opportunity to dive in deeper where it is more challenging for you guys as clinicians. I, you know, where a guy comes in, you don't know him from Adam, and you got to figure out what's going on in a short amount of time. That does become sure. more challenging. So. Um, I will say too, and I, not to direct our conversation, but uh, my, favorite, my favorite new thing is the floss bands. And uh, I'm using them on almost every one of my athletes. And uh, yeah. uh, in combination with tape, I think they're really powerful. Of course, the blades are really powerful as well. But, um, and uh, I really have, I've been using floss bands, different brands, whatever, for four, five, six years. But this year, when, when we were at our instructor summit in January and Oliver, one of the instructors from Germany, started talking, he just opened my eyes. He floored me to some things that I'd never even thought we could do with floss bands and doing some directional skin drag um, and uh, tissue torque and things like that. I was just wrapping it and saying, hey, go move around a little bit and we'll take them off and hope it gets better. Um, but my favorite thing that I'm doing right now with them is that when I encounter any kind of an instability, maybe it's the shoulder, maybe it's the core of the trunk, I'm wrapping them really tightly with the, the, the floss band. Um, and literally I'll do it right around the core or right around the SI and go through some sort of a range of motion and we take it off and it's crazy. I mean, it's like a light switch for most of my guys, um, both decreasing pain, but also increasing stability. And it's, it's basically accelerating that stabilization process. And the way I think about it, I don't know if we can really prove what the mechanism is right now that's going on, but the way I think about it is, if I've got an unstable area of the body and I can compress it and wrap it really tight and go through some sort of a meaningful movement, uh, the brain feels safe and feels comfortable 
and all of a sudden they start to move better. And uh, uh, I've got a couple swimmers. I got one swimmer right now who just he subluxed his shoulder. He was riding his bike on the ice and slipped and subluxed and tore his labrum three weeks before the conference meet and couldn't put his hand oh, couldn't put his hand over his head a, a couple of days later. And uh, we literally found we found that wrapping his shoulder with a floss band turned off his symptoms immediately, both mechanical and pain symptoms. So we literally were on the deck, the pool deck. He would swim until it started to hurt, and we'd take him out, and I'd wrap him up, and he'd go through some shoulder range of motion, take it off, put him right back in the pool, and he'd swim for another five or ten minutes, and then we'd get back out. And we did that for three weeks, and he went out and swam the best time of his life at the conference meet. We go on to win the conference meet, and he has surgery a couple weeks later to fix his labrum. so, I mean, that's the wow. kind of cool stuff, and, and it gets me really geeked up. But the, the floss bands are the other thing. I love tape. I love all the tools we have. But the floss bands have been a game changer for me in the last couple months. Totally agree. Those things are really cool. They're really good adjuncts uh, to the tape itself. Mitch, tell us a little bit about uh, Maximum Training Solutions. Yeah, I mean, Maximum Training Solutions, I mean, just describe it as a, uh, you know, an education and consulting company. I've... Uh, uh, it's really where I run a lot of my on-site, uh, my, my live courses through, whether it's through rock tape, I've got a couple of my own live courses that I run from time to time. Uh, I've taught for a, a number of other uh, companies as well. TRX, ultimate sandbag. I've done some stuff with vine education. And so, uh, I've, I've, uh, maximum training solutions is my house for all of that. And then I have some of my, uh, my own, uh, you know, videos and, and online education as well. Um, I've got one about multi-segmental rolling, which is my favorite transverse plane, um, immediate kind of impact, um, for core and trunk stability. And then, uh, I've got one that looks at, um, uh, a basic movement screen and a bunch of correctives off that, that we use the ultimate sandbags for. And then, uh, my latest one is reactive neuromuscular training, uh, which I love RNT. Uh, for those who aren't real familiar with RNT, I mean, it's another really powerful, way to feed the brain uh, with input. And I combine some some unique ways we can use sort of vibration training and stimulus paxinian corpuscles uh, to, to get the brain amped up and, uh, uh, and uh, feed that into kind of feeding the mistake, exaggerating the mistake, which is a great way to make movement corrections a heck of a lot easier than me standing there saying, hey, tighten this, don't do this, don't do that. And so I love RNT training as well. Um, so I put something together last fall about that, but, uh, that's kind of what, what it is in a nutshell. I, I have a blog post I put out every week, uh, with, uh, uh, some, some nuggets, information, whatever's on my brain, uh, at that time. And I, I dump that out. And so try to just use it to spread the love and educate others that are out there want to know more <laughs> about movement. Well, I follow it and I, uh, definitely have reposted a bunch of your stuff too. You got some great, uh, tidbits in there. Where can, uh, everyone reach you on social media? Yeah, So social media, uh, Facebook is, uh, Mitch Hauschultz. Um, and I'll spell that cause people, well, you probably get it in the notes, but I'll spell it anyway. So Mitch, be, Mitch, yeah. M-I-T-C-H. <laughs> and then last name is H-A-U-S-C-H-I-L-D-T. Uh, Instagram is at Mitch Hauschult as well as Twitter. Um, I'm not real active on Twitter, but Facebook and Instagram, I definitely am. Uh, and then, uh, the website is, uh, maximum training solutions.com and you can find a ton of good content there. That's uh, free of charge and easy to access. 
Awesome. Yeah, check Mitch out. He's got some great posts on, even if it's just Instagram, uh, a lot of the great quotes that you put up there too. Uh, some real funny ones too. That oh, well, I, I appreciate really that. The feeling's too. mutual. Uh, I love looking at your stuff and sharing <laughs> it as well. So uh, it's, yeah, it's fun. I, I, it's That's the great thing about social media. It really is a great platform for us to just share things that we're thinking about and, and doing. And uh, it's made me a ton better uh, over the last few years, yeah. I can tell you that. Just learning from everybody. That's the best yeah, part. No yeah. question. No question. Mitch, you reading anything good right now? Can you recommend anything? I am reading Anti-Fragile right now, which a lot of the other Rock Tape instructors have read. I don't know if you've read it yet. Um, I have a gigantic stack of books and audio books and stuff I want to get to and two small children. So we'll see when I can get into this. Well, I, uh, <laughs> the feelings are mutual. I've got a big, big That's stack. That's true. You have how many I've kids now? I've got four now? kids. So, uh, you got four, four kids. Four through 11. So on top of everything Mitch is doing, he's got four kids. And what were the ages? Four through 11. So 11, 9, 6, wow. and 4. And I've got an amazing wife that uh, – uh, is working her way towards sainthood for tolerating everything that I do and <laughs> and allowing me to chase my passion and my dreams. But uh, uh, anti fragile, uh, it's going to take. It's a long book. It's going to take me a while to get through. Uh, tiny print. I love big print with lots of pictures because I I played college football. I mean that's I'm kind of a big dumb animal. Um, but uh, I uh, uh, anti fragile. It's actually it's a great read. I've really enjoyed it. It's really this idea that really a lot of the most successful people, societies, whatever, have embraced chaos instead of trying to push chaos away. And uh, um, it's a really interesting concept uh, that I like. So I would encourage, I think it's a good book if people want to check it out. I, I really do enjoy it. Awesome. Yeah, that's something to check out. That uh, sounds like a really interesting concept, actually. Yeah, it is. It's good. It's intriguing. And as you're reading it, you're like, wow, that makes so much sense. I never thought about it that way. But yeah. And so... Uh, I actually yesterday, uh, kind of along these same um, uh, idea, I uh, I posted on Instagram uh, a quote, and I'll, I'll butcher it a little bit, but you know, comfort. Uh, it's this idea that comfort will basically ruin you, and uh, comfort on any level. And one of the things I try to do, just live my life by, is that uh, to try to get uncom or get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think when we can do that, uh, it really that. spurs us on and. Uh, I was trying to tell myself yesterday I was working out, I was swimming in the pool and I'm an awful swimmer. I'm so inefficient, uh, but I know it's really good for me. And I've got our swim coaches that are trying to coach me and make me better. And the whole time I'm thinking, I just want to get out of this water and go do something else. But then I'm also thinking, just get comfortable being uncomfortable and uh, you'll be better for it. So um, kind of the same, same concept. Yeah. I love that. That is a great thing to send everyone home to, man. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, it's the only way we that's get the better. Challenges. That's the stimulus. Yep. That's the only way you're going to get better. That's the only way you're going to learn. That is awesome, man. Well, Mitch, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate you coming in and, t and chatting. Hey, with John. You. Thanks so much for having me, man. I, I appreciate you and your friendship and everything you bring to the table. You make me better every day. So this is uh, this is an awesome platform to be able to share with you. Well, thanks for doing it again, Mitch. And we will uh, <clears throat> chat with you uh, coming up pretty soon. And if anybody needs to uh, get hold of Mitch, check him out on Instagram or Facebook. And definitely check out Maximum Training Solutions. And then if you're, hey, if you're in Springfield at the Missouri State, uh, check out one of their yeah. games and see some of the great Come athletes. Come on by. Look me up. I'd, uh, I'd love to say hi. What season are you in right now? Uh, baseball, softball. 
baseball's probably ended up, right? Yeah, yeah, we're um, um, yeah, we're in the middle of baseball season and uh, trying to make a, a run for the conference title again, see if we can get in the NCAA tournament. So, all right. Well, check Mitch out if you can and uh, visit him on social media and uh, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and any of your uh, podcast venues. Thank you so much for listening. Mitch, again, thanks so much and take care.